On episode 194 of the Tennis Files podcast, you'll learn how to deal with nerves and have mental flexibility with Summit coaches Jorge Capistani and Adam Blitcher. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files Podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mirban Iranshad. Today's episode is brought to you by Tennis Summit 2021. That's right. This is your host, Mirban Iranshad, and I am hosting Tennis Summit 2021 starting on April 19th. For over 40 world-class coaches and experts will reveal proven secrets to level up your tennis game. I have gotten over 40 of the best coaches on the planet, and they're going to teach you online lessons, presentations, and master classes, and live streams on technique, strategy, fitness, and the mental game from April 19th through April 24th, and you can register at tennisfilesummit.com. That's T-E-N-N-I-S-F-I-L-E-S-S-U-M-M-I-T.com, tennisfilesummit.com. And when you go to that page, you'll see uh, all the sessions, every single one, every single topic. Uh, it's, it's really massive. And you can just click uh, any of the green buttons on that page, and then you'll get to be registered for free to watch the uh the summit so it's going to be really amazing uh just a few of the names here uh Paul Anacone Craig O'Shaughnessy who I just was uh spoke over the phone with um a couple hours ago to confirm got Nick Boliteri Ian Westerman Peter Freeman Will Hamilton Dr. Mark Kovacs Jorge Capistani uh, just so many names so just go to tennisfilesummit.com and also check the link in, on the show notes page and you will really enjoy uh, this summit that I have dedicated the last probably three months, uh, more if you count, uh, you know, thinking and brainstorming, to to just improve every part of your game with these online lessons. And it's going to be a lot of fun, and I can't wait to see you there. So again, TennisFilesSummit.com. Register right now. Hey, hey, welcome to this episode of the Tennis Files Podcast. This is Maribon, and I'm back once again. Every single week you hear from me. Uh, and today I have a preview session of Tennis Summit 2021, which you heard me talk about. And once again, get your free ticket at TennisFilesSummit.com. But for today's podcast episode, I focused it on a couple of the mental game sessions that are really excellent that you will be able to see uh, if you uh, sign up for the summit. And they are from Coach Jorge Capistani and Coach Adam Blitcher, who's also a podcaster. So Jorge is going to talk about how to manage your nerves and energy levels, which is probably one of the biggest questions that I get from people, which is, you know, they get nervous in matches and they don't know exactly how to deal with that and they can't seem to win the the points when it really counts 
extremely common. So that's, you know, one of the first steps is to just acknowledge that, you know, it's not just yourself that's dealing with this. Everybody does. But Corey has some fantastic content on this. And then Adam Blitcher has a great uh, session on the power of mental flexibility. So you'll definitely want to tune into that too. So as I mentioned, I've got part of each summit session uh, for you today in audio format. Uh, Obviously, the summit will be all video. And so I really do hope that you enjoy these previews and then go on to join me at the summit at tennisfallsummit.com. So with that, let me share these preview sessions with you, and I hope you really enjoy them. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this awesome session with my friend, Jorge Capistani. It's really an honor and a pleasure to have Jorge back on the summit once again. He's done so much for the tennis community and has just coached thousands upon thousands of of tennis players, you know, in person and online on how to improve their games. Uh, Jorge has an amazing resume. He has actually been the National Pro of the Year with the PTR and the USPTA, which I don't think anyone has ever done that before. Uh, It's incredible. And then also he is a master pro with both organizations, which I think there's only 11 of those uh, worldwide. So very, very highly uh, distinctive uh, career here. And he's also been a six-time Michigan Pro of the Year as well. Um, So, Jorge, thanks so much for coming on uh, to talk about uh, how to deal with with nerves and, uh, you know, maximize your energy levels. Really appreciate it. Well, hey, no problem, buddy. I'm really excited to be with you here. And I really, I'm excited to actually talk about this topic. When you and I were talking about what I would speak on, you know, we were, I was showing you kind of the, the mental toughness course that I kind of revamped recently. And there's a whole segment in there that deals with pre-match nerves. Uh, and as a coach of, you know, close to closing in on 40 years of coaching now, I know that a bunch of my players, a really big percentage are stricken with this pretty badly where they really, really get <clears throat> nervous before the match. They, they almost feel sick. Uh, and over those nearly 40 years, I've tried to coach and I've used probably, I don't even know, 50 different, techniques and stories and methods. And what I boiled it down is to 10 things that have worked, at least for me and my students, the best. So um, that's what we're going to cover. Overcoming pre-match nerves. Yeah, if you want, I can get started. Uh, I prepared a, let me just get my screen right. Um, I'm going to show you, let me now just make this big. And I should... Okay, so you should be able to see my screen now, and it should be a blue background overcoming pre-match nerves. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So that's the title, and I'm just going to start going through this thing because a lot of the data is right in here. So um, let me first just kind of show you quickly what we're going to cover. We're going to talk about the real definition of mental toughness, the three types of thinkers, um, how to develop positive mantras. I'm going to uh, perspective number four there empathy and then on the other side we're going to talk about this thing catastrophic thinking uh repurposing competition the four pillars of tennis we'll have a recap and takeaway and then at the end important to me is i want to give you like six action steps things that you can actually go do because at the end of the day i want people watching this to actually say hey i have something i can actually something practical i can try to do and not just a bunch of theory Okay, so with that said, we'll start with number one, the real definition of mental toughness. So 
I've noticed that a lot of my people who struggle with mental toughness or, or nervousness in particular, uh, they have a really bad, incorrect definition of what mentally, what mental toughness really is. So let me tell you what it's not. It's not the ability to play great in an important match. So you can see right here, important, right? So what, what, what do I even mean by that? I'm not talking your typical everyday match. Something that people perceive to be important. Maybe if you're a league player, it's the, the playoffs or it's the state championships, or maybe you made it to the sectionals or even nationals. If you're a high school player, maybe it's, you know, high school tryouts or the state tournament or the regionals to get to state tournament. There's always matches. If you play whatever, 50 to 100 matches a year, there's always some that players are going to view and they're going to interpret this as an important match. So I'm talking about that. And if your idea, or if your definition of mental toughness is on those important matches, I play great. I'm going to suggest to you that's a bad definition. That's actually almost too high of a bar. Okay. Instead, I'll tell you what I think it, it is. Uh, it's the ability to play normal in those supposed important matches. So it's Jorge, and let's just say for sake of argument, I'm a 4.5 player, and I'm about to go to the regionals, and this is what sends my my 4.5 team to state. Okay, if, I, if, if we win here. So in my head, it's quite important. If all that extra pressure of that situation exists, and I can go in there, and I can play at my normal 4.5 level, that, by definition, is being mentally tough. It means that the extra importance didn't make you play worse, okay? So I always start with that because I think way too many of my personal students have gotten this wrong. They kind of think, well, no, if it's important, that's when I should play great. And that's just, if that's your bar, you're going to be setting yourself up for a lot of heartache. So that's an important one, and that's the very first little lesson in this, in this thing. So next thing is number two. <clears throat> now, I found that when you play tennis, your place can reside, or your, there's three places that your mind can reside, your, your thinking, your thoughts, okay? And what are they? Well, you're, you could be thinking of the past. Some players think a lot about the future, and some players are kind of more thinking about the present, okay? Now, what we know is that each one of these kind of makes other things happen. So if you're a past thinker, you're thinking of the past shot, the past error, the past winner, the past game, those people tend to be angry. Okay, you can almost hear them. People who are thinking of the future too much, they tend to be nervous. And people who are in the present, they tend to be focused. So obviously, you know, that's the one you want. You want to try to be in the present. The problem is, okay, sounds good, Coach Jorge, but how the heck do I do that? So I'm going to show you what's what's been working for my people. So I'll give you some examples. Here they are again. We're going to focus on the past. So people that are thinking of the past, this is the type of things they say internally or even out loud. Um, you suck, you're slow, you're a choker, your forehand's a joke. All those things reflect things that happened in the past, right? They're referring to maybe an error or a poor shot, shot selection. And they all have one thing in common, and they all refer to things in the past. Now, some of you watching this, you're thinking, oh, yeah, that's me for sure. I'm a past thinker. But that's just a general thought. The next type of thinker you could be is a few we said future thinkers tend to be nervous and if you got inside their head or you could listen to their thoughts you'll hear things like if i win this i'll be happy um if i get this game um then i'll be up for one that'll give me some breathing room uh if i'm up a break 
then for sure I'm going to grab this set. Um, this is, I, I can't be the only loss. This is one that actually happened to me. I'll tell you, I was in college. We were playing a team and, um, I was having a particularly tough match. I was the last one on the court and all my teammates were finished and in the lobby looking at me play. And I, I was still in the middle of the third set and my brain was already in the lobby. Like I can't go up in the lobby and be, I'm the only one that lost and going home and I'm the only one on the bus that lost. So that's a, an example of not being present. I was thinking already of the bus ride home and what, what I would think. So all of those things um, tend to be things that happen in the future. And if you think a lot like that, those people, in my experience, tend to be nervous. Okay. Uh, and then the last thing here is present, which is really the goal. That's the better one. So if you hear these people's inner thoughts or if they yell it out, they their outer thoughts, you're going to hear things like get this return in. Uh, serve this one to his backhand. Uh, come in on the next short ball. Play a long point here. I think they're getting tired. So whatever they might be saying, they tend, all those things have one thing in common. They're all about the present. And that, to me, shows that they're planning. Okay? So of those three options, being in the present is the most important. Okay? Um, so that's... That's the number one. But now, how do how do we get there? We're going to use mantras, right? Because right now, just knowing those three thoughts doesn't really help you anything. You're like, okay, uh, I think I'm a past thinker. So now what? Uh, so I'm going to show you about mantras. Uh, a mantra is just a saying that you have to yourself, and it has to be something that's accurate about yourself. Like if you say, "I'm the fastest person out here," well, I'm not the fastest person on the court. I don't even believe that myself. So they're positive things to say. Now, I'm going to put this up here because almost every time I work with students and I say, let's start coming up with some positive mantras, they are completely, they can't, oh, what, what are you talking about? Something good. Some of you say this stuff like, I'm a fighter or whatever, uh, and they just can't wrap their head around it. So on the left, I'm going to call these my swipe file. So these are ones that I kind of kickstart the process. So one might be a mantra that you say to yourself, I'm a fighter. Come on, Jorge, I'm a fighter. Number two, I'm a tough competitor. I'm ready. Let's go. It's going to be a battle. It's going to, we're tired. It's hot. I love it. I'm, I'm tough. Uh, number three is I love the battle. That's a real positive one. Uh, number four, I'm willing to suffer. Hey, it, we're dying out here. It's going into the third hour. I'm ready, dude. I have a little suffering, but I don't care. I can out-suffer this guy. Another one is I feel strong. Bounce on your toes. You should tell yourself you feel strong. Another one is I love a challenge. Man, I thought I'd be up and winning by now, but you know what? I love challenges. Let's go. Let's bring it on. So those are just examples, okay? But on the other side of this page, uh, this is where I really have the people make up their own. Now, I tell them, you might be able to swipe one or two of mine, but don't just swipe all of mine. Because if you really, like number one there, I'm a fighter. If that's not what you are in your heart, if you're not really, you know, super good hustle and really feisty and pumping your fist all the time, then that's not one to say about yourself because you know you'll be lying. But maybe if you'll say, hey, number four there, I'm willing to suffer. That describes me. I'm, I'll try my butt off. I'm great with effort. So you come up with them. And actually, um, Mayor Brent, I'm going to give you the, all these slides as a PowerPoint or these PowerPoint slides as a PDF because I want people to be able to download them. But ideally, you would come up with your own. As a matter of fact, I'll have a slide that looks just like that. It's just a blank one that you can fill on your own. But that is number three, and it has to deal with mantras. Now, number four is an exercise in perspective. So I think a lot of tennis players, I've coached so many of them, uh, we kind of, we don't give tennis 
the credit it deserves for being a, just a difficult sport, like a toughest. I will say to people in my life that I think tennis is the toughest sport in the world. And some, not especially non-tennis people, they look at me like, are you crazy? Tennis is the toughest sport? No way. Well, let me just make my argument. And this is what I want you to marinate on. We all play tennis, okay? So here's the, I'm going to give you 10 things that make tennis tough. Number one is an individual sport. So if I lose to Mirabond, I lose. It's not like, oh, my team lost. It's very personal. Number two, there's no coaching in our sport. Watch pretty much every sport on TV. There's coaching. Not only during timeouts, there's continual coaching. Tennis pretty much don't have don't have that. Number three, there's no substitutes. You can play basketball, baseball, whatever you want. Can't do it in tennis. Number four, there's no timeouts. Again, very unusual. Just March Madness just finished. There's timeouts being called. There's a whole strategy of how to do it, when to do it. We don't have that luxury in our sport. Number five, it's a one-on-one -on -one combat. If you know, tennis is, can be very personal, it can become very, you know, adversarial and confrontational real quick because it's like boxing from 90 feet away. You know, if you're playing someone who's kind of a nasty person and they, you know, they don't, they're just mean-spirited, um, that's a reality of our sport. That's just five. Number six is the accuracy of the line calls. Um, we are the people calling the lines. So just imagine any other sport trying to pull that off. The NBA saying, okay, call your own fouls, guys. Or the, you know, it just wouldn't work. Little League Baseball, okay, batter, you're going to call whether it's a ball or a strike. Ready? We trust you to do it, go. And we have that in our sport. And we just kind of overlook it like, well, it's no big deal. That's a huge thing. Uh, it's, it's ripe for problems. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Number seven, the honor scoring system. There's not a literal scoreboard usually when you play tennis. So what I mean by this is people can mess with the score. And since the match is unofficiated, I could be playing you, Mirabai, and maybe it's, you know, we're in the third set. We've been out there for a couple hours. And uh, you, you know, you go up 3-2 in the third set, and I announce the score 3-2 me. And you say, wait a minute, 2-3, right? And I go, no, I'm up 3-2. You go, no, Jorge, I'm up 3-2. I go, no, I'm up 3 and people could, what other sport are they going to even, that's not going to happen in any other sport. You know, the Super Bowl, you don't come out halftime and say, hey, we're up 21-0. What do you mean? To, you're down 15-0. You know, it's just weird. Uh, it's another reason tennis is tough. Uh, we also have to deal with changing conditions, which many other sports don't. You know, we can, in Michigan, you can start a match that's kind of warm after school, and by 7 p.m. it could be 40 degrees and you're freezing your tail off. Uh, or it could be windy or it could be not windy. So that's that factor. Um, the length of the battle, um, the longest match I ever saw was a nearly five-hour five hour match between two girls' 12s in June in Michigan when it was about 90 degrees. It was a qualifier. There is no finish line, per se. Uh, it, it just keeps moving. Uh, and most sports don't have that. They have a clock or they have periods, and it's going to end, and pretty much you know it. And then the last thing is just the diabolical scoring system that tennis has, which means, you know, I can actually play Mirabon and win more uh, points than you and still lose the match. It's one of the only sports where the, the points are not cumulative. 
So in other words, I play a zero zero mayor by nine play. It gets to deuce. It goes a couple deuces. I lose the game. What happens to all those points that I just won? They literally go off the board. I won them, but they don't count. So now Mayor Brand has one and I have zero. And this happens not only in games, but within sets too. I could have five games in a set, really long, put an hour and a half into this tiebreaker set, lose it, all those games out the door. So that, just marinate on that for a second. Those 10 reasons are why tennis is tough. So everybody watching this, you're a tennis player, I'm sure. This is something that we have to kind of recognize about our sport and kind of take solace and say, hey, this, this really is a tough sport. But to drive the point home, because a lot of people still go, yeah, he's just a tennis guy. Let's compare tennis to football. Okay, you see, that's the top of their football. Because most people would say, well, that now you're talking football. That's a tough sport. But let's just kind of take each of these 10 things one by one and see what's harder, tennis or football. Is it an individual sport? No, football is not individual sport. You don't lose personally. Your team loses, okay? So it's a whole group of guys. Is there a no coaching rule in football? No, they can get coaching. We can't, they get it. So again, tennis is tougher that way. Can they substitute in football? Sure, all the time. We don't, so they don't have that burden. Are they have, does, does football have a rule where you no timeouts? Absolutely, they do not. So again, they get to do timeouts, we know. It's a one-on-one -on -one combat. I'm going to say no, even though, you know, maybe two linemen might be duking it out. Uh, is there issues with accuracy of line calls? Um, I'm going to say no. I mean, there's bad calls in football, but there's like professional people in charge of doing it. The, the athlete doesn't have to do it. Is there a way, do they have to go by the honor scoring system? No, they don't have to worry about someone cheating them because literally, you know, it's on the scoreboard. The whole world's watching. How about this changing conditions one? Now that one, I'm going to say, yeah, football has that as well. Has to do with football. How about the length of the battle in football? Could you play a six-hour football game? No. You can do it in tennis, but not in football. So they don't get that uh, drama. And their scoring system is pretty straightforward. It's all cumulative. So right there, <clears throat> look at that screen. <clears throat> tennis versus football. In my opinion, there's nine ways that tennis is a tougher sport than football. Um, and a lot of people, if you, they play, they just kind of overlook it. The reason I want to do this particular slide is because <clears throat> I hate it when tennis players don't give themselves a break, basically. I want you to understand, like, you play one of the toughest sports. And you might say, well, it's not physically tough. Uh, I don't know about that. If you look at Roger and Federer and all these guys and what they put themselves through physically in the athlete, I'm thinking those guys are superior, unbelievable athletes that can do some crazy things that maybe other pro athletes can't do. All right, so that's kind of a perspective one. Now, we're going to go to number five, and this is in particular <clears throat> one about pre-match nerves. And it's really about, I'm going to share a story here. Uh, I'm going to put a scale one through ten, and I'm going to put on the left there, you're very calm. Maybe you're on this spectrum. You're very calm before matches, or maybe you're very nervous. Okay. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to drop in three people here. This is my family. Marty on the left, Carly, my daughter, and Jorge here on the right. Um, the point is, everybody is on that spectrum. The way you come into tennis, the way you came into the world, some of you, some of us, were wired very nervous. I mean, we're really freaked out. Okay, that's the way we come out of the womb and the way our factory settings are. 
And then other people are quite calm. And everybody might wish, you know, I wish before matches I was really calm, but I'm just not. That This is not a problem in and of itself. Obviously, we would love to see this happen where we can teach you some skills so that your nervousness level all slides to the left and you're all kind of residing over there. But the reality is I'm going to show you on this next thing. Here's some facts, okay? On a scale of 1 to 10, everybody is different. If you really kind of took a survey of 100 tennis players, some would say they're 1, never get nervous. Some would say they're 10, they feel like throwing up before every match, and everything in between. Right? So recognize that wherever you fall on that scale to begin with is not a problem, okay? I tended to be pretty nervous, uh, but I learned skills to overcome that. Uh, the other thing I want you to know about pre-match nerves, us tennis players, we're really, really bad at tennis empathy. And I'll explain that in a, in a minute, but that's the ability to, to feel what the other guy is feeling. And I'm going to tell you this story. This is a classic story of my two players at a tournament. This happened to me a long time ago when I was a young coach. And since then, it's happened many times. So I was sitting at a, uh, the Midwest close. So this is a junior tournament. Hi, guys. Welcome to the presentation that is called How to Be Mentally Flexible, Getting the Most Out of Your Level in matches i'll just make my stream big here first of all a a huge thank you to mirban iranshad for organizing this conference for the fifth time which i think is truly incredible in this time of corona where all of us are sitting a lot behind the, the laptops and, and online conferences is all of a sudden a thing i think mirban has done an unbelievable job of being before the rest of the pack and this is as i said the fifth time that he's organizing this i hope you out there as a player that you get a few ideas from my presentation today and uh, Let's get going right away. Tennis Summit 2021. At first, let me just uh, briefly introduce myself. My name is Adam Bleger. I am a Danish tennis coach and sports psychology consultant. On a daily basis, I, I work with everyone from the local club hero to, to some of the athletes that are representing Denmark at the Olympics, uh, that are competing at Europeans and World Championships. And I used to work for the Danish Tennis Federation for six years. Um, now, made the transition into more general sports psychology, but my heart is still in tennis. So that is what we're going to work with today as well. And no matter who I'm working with in my everyday job, it's about general well-being. It's about development and performance. We're obviously tapping into the performance part today, and I hope that this presentation will help you on that front. And the agenda or what I hope that you'll get out of this shorter presentation is, first of all, getting a little bit wiser on the connections between thoughts, feelings and actions. Also, we're going to talk a little bit about different cues, internal and external ones, the cues that your coach might say to you, also for you to be aware about what they are typically saying, but also what is really important for you to try to reframe those cues to. And then at last, I'm going to present a framework of how you can deal with your thoughts and feelings when you are under perceived pressure. So in met situations where you are going to get tight. And because this is a, a taped recording, then um, please 
have your your notepad or whatever you are taking notes with at your side and if there's something that you want to get clarified or get elaborated or just know some more about please mail me afterwards at the the mail address on the screen adamblicker at gmail.com also you can find me on different social media and i'm more than happy to answer any questions as i know it can be tough that this is recorded and i cannot answer the questions that you have when i'm talking so please reach out afterwards i'm gonna have my contact details at the very end again First of all, it's very important to understand that in sports psychology, it's probably more about trying to understand yourself rather than changing yourself. In sports psychology in general and in tennis psychology, we have a lot of myths, I will call, from some of the older sports psychology from the 1970s. We have a lot of well-meaning advice that coaches or maybe your parents have said to you. Those could be along the lines of think positive, don't be nervous, just go out there and play freely. And while all of those advice are, are well intended, they might sometimes be counterproductive. So early on, you thought that you should plug out all negative thoughts and unpleasant feelings. Today, it's more about trying to understand yourself. And what we know from brain research is that that having that fight between the, the positive or the negative thoughts, if you'd like, it's very often a fight that you are going to lose. So instead of fighting that fight, it might be more beneficial to be aware of how am I working and also how am I reacting in different situations if I'm not aware and what do I then need to refocus my attention to. But we will get back to that in the framework presented. So this is the framework that I'm going to get back to at the very end is just to give you an overview of the different steps here. We got five different steps. I'm going to take them one at a time in order for you to digest also the examples in here. And I'm also going to make this, this table available for, for Mirban so you guys can have it afterwards if you'd like to fill it out yourself. So first of all, I'm from Denmark and here in Denmark, we got a rule that the bus drivers can't talk to the passengers while he or she is driving the bus. The reasoning being that obviously the bus driver needs to focus on the road and needs to focus on getting the passengers off at each stop. And the bus driver can say hello every time a new passenger walks into the bus but then needs to redirect the attention. Otherwise, they might miss a stop or they might bump into some of the other traffic. And in that way, our mind is a little bit similar that we also got all of these thoughts going on that could be equal to a passenger. And they're fighting for our attention. If we talk too much to the passengers in our head, then we might get distracted from actually solving the task that we're doing, which in this case, we'll be playing a tennis match. So we can acknowledge those thoughts and those passengers in our head, but we can't keep talking to them. Then we'll have no energy or no focus on actually executing our game plan and our strokes. Let me see. So these bus passengers, what we also know is that 
we're very predictable as human beings in the way that it's very often some of the same bus passengers that are rising in our mind. Right now, you can't see from this bar down here. I'd like this to disappear again. And now it is perfect. So what we know is that we're very predictable as human beings, meaning that it's very often, whether it's in school, on the tennis court or at home or in our relationship with the loved one, it's very often some of the same passengers that are arising. And if we label these thoughts, then we humanize them. This is a little bit silly, but it's a very nice way of um, releasing from these thoughts in our mind. So this could be perfectionistic Paula, it could be unfair Ursula, furious Fiona, cocky Caitlin, angry Audrey. I think this will make a lot more sense when we get back to the table, but just for now, know that we're very predictable as human beings. And if we label the thoughts and emotions going on and group them together, then we can personify them and then it's easier to release from them so we're not distracted. Third step is that we need to be aware of our autopilot. Autopilot meaning our action. In sports psychology, we're not trying to change the thoughts and feelings going on. That's not the, the currency. Just like if I was an SNC coach, then the currency of SNC might be the, the time that you are running a certain distance, or it might be the kilos that you can squat or you can bench press. In sports psychology, the currency is actions, not thoughts and feelings that you might think would be the currency. So what we're looking at here is the autopilot response in terms of the action, and if you are not aware. Then the last step is that we need to figure out what is the lead domino. The reasoning being here, if we're talking about a tennis serve, for instance, there's so many different things that could potentially be important. And you've probably been told by your coach that there, there might be three, five, seven, ten things that are important because the serve is a very difficult and multi-segment movement. If you try to focus on all of those five or seven things, however, you're really not focusing on anything. So we need to figure out what is the most important thing here. What is the one thing that will make all of the other fall over, just like in a domino plate? So make all of the other cues less relevant or completely irrelevant. This is not an easy task to figure out what is the lead domino. And a lot of players can actually have a quite high level and being what is referred to as unconsciously competent. So meaning they are quite good at playing tennis. You might be quite good at playing tennis as well. But it's actually hard for you to put words on, well, what's actually important when I'm serving my second serve? What's important on my forehand approach? And what we know from a psychological standpoint is that if we're looking at performing well over time, it's very important that you also get consciously competent. So there is a process of on the practice court to be consciously aware of what is important on my second serve. When I'm serving, I just missed my first serve. It's 30-40. I get this thought of don't double fault, don't double fault. It might be nervous nils that is going on in my head. And if I'm not paying attention, then I might not 
accelerate my racket as much as I would either. I Maybe I'm not using my legs enough. So that would be the autopilot. And then I need to figure out, hmm, what is then important to refocus my center of attention to? That might be exploding towards the air or something similar. And that will be the lead domino. This is a process for you and your coach on the practice call, because sometimes you, you find that in practices, everything is going well, and then in matches, everything seems to fall apart. There could be multiple reasons for that. If we're looking at it from a psychological standpoint, very often it's because thoughts and feelings are interfering. They're not interfering in practices most often, but in matches they are. And if we then do not know what to refocus to, then the only thing we can think about is how nervous we are, what we're going to tell our coach afterwards, maybe our parents, or how this result is going to affect our ranking. So therefore, it's very, very important to know what to refocus to. And you could, I'm, I've said focus and attentional focus. And another way of saying that is that it's a little bit similar to a flashlight, that you always focus on something. You can't lose your focus, but you just sometimes you focus on something that is not helpful. And the flashlight should be back on the lead domino. So attentional focus, let's just briefly touch upon what it is and a little bit more in depth about that. So sometimes we confuse our attentional focus for our working memory. If you imagine this is a dark room and you have your focus in the top left corner, then you can only point to one thing at a time, but it takes effort to go from one thing to another. And it also creates latency, so it takes time. In a sport like tennis that is so fast and there's so many different things going on, you cannot afford that lack of trying to focus your center of attention to different things during a serve. So for instance, you might think during a serve that at first you could focus on exploding off the ground with your feet and then you could focus on something with your taking up your racket or stretching your left arm if you're righty and then hitting the ball up high or whatever that might be that there's not simply not enough time for that so we need to figure out one thing in the working memory it's okay on the practice court that we have different focal points and we work on different things in the serve but when it's crunch time when it's match time we can only have one focal point and that's why we need that lead domino. That leads us to coaching cues. That's basically the last idea that you have in your mind before you are about to execute a serve, return, a approach forehand. And coaching cues are essentially chunking together information. It's just like, as you see on the screen right now, it's the way that we also chunk together numbers in a telephone number, whereas if we didn't chunk together those numbers, it would be unbelievably difficult to remember those numbers. And it's essentially the same that we're doing with coaching cues. We're trying to take as much information as possible and chunk it together to something that is more bite-sized. Alrighty then, I really hope that you enjoyed these mental game previews from the summit. And one last time, please join me and many, many thousands of players and coaches just like you 
at Tennis Summit 2021 by going to tennisfilesummit.com and signing up to get your free ticket. All right, uh, I just want to leave you with a quote as I often love to do at the end of the show. And this one is by Merlin, (laughs) Sword in the Stone. Fantastic. And Merlin said, It's up to you how far you go. If you don't try, you'll never know. So really hope you enjoyed this episode and I will be seeing you next week for sure. Wishing you all the best. Uh, Of course, safety, health and happiness and some tennis if you can get to it. And I can't wait to ramp up my tennis playing adventures after the summit. I'm pretty much holed in uh, until then, until the, the finish of it pretty much. So All right, I will see you next week. This is Mirabhan Aranchad signing out and take care. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.